Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm Dave, and I am here with Linda Haviv. And Emily, we are going to talk today about open search. And on that topic, we have some really amazing guests. So we have John Handler, who's a senior principal solutions architect. And we have Ashok Thiranu Rayan, who is a senior SDM on search. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thanks for having us. And uh, hi, everybody. Yeah, thank you. I have so many questions. So John, you've been here over 12 years at Amazon, and you probably have so many stories. Why don't we just start out with first tech job how did you yeah, how did sure. you get into the industry well so there's a, a kind of long history there i you know i have about 30 years of experience in the industry and um, wow. including i i guess i would start my current career with my phd i did a phd in artificial intelligence at northwestern and just a thumbnail on that this was the the artificial intelligence the old-fashioned artificial intelligence uh symbolic not this throw the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks kind of deep learning artificial intelligence. <laughs> right. right. So we thought we were doing something. Um, really, my focus there was on I built a system that was a six degree of freedom robot arm and a camera that was a hand eye system that built walls out of Duplos. And uh, it was the, the focus, though, really was about looking at the environment, tracking what was happening and then doing a retrieval from a library of plan fragments to find the next step to apply. So even going all the way back in my career, like I've always had this, the world is doing something and it's presenting me with some kind of information or query. And I need to go to my library of knowledge to pull the thing that is actually the relevant thing to do next, right? Uh, and so I can trace that kind of path forward through my career where I did take a 10-year detour into robotics. I worked for uh, a uh, wafer prober company doing uh, vision systems and stuff like that. But uh, when I landed at AWS, it was after a job building a search engine uh, for a comparison shopping site. And I landed as a software developer, actually, on our cloud search product, which was a wow. long time ago. Robotics is so hard. Like We take for granted just my hand. And grasping things, how many neural pathways and how much sensory information to actually understand the three-dimensional world. And even what we perceive, I mean, you think about the spectrum of light. You may even know this, John. It's like something like 0.9% of light we actually see, like the reality that actually exists out there with, with the human mind perceives. And trying to teach that to a robot. I'm just, when I see things like Boston Dynamics and they're all doing the dancing and they're doing like, it's just so cool to kind of, you know, and, and I am a, you know, I grew up uh, as a kid reading Isaac Asimov, you know, and iRobot and just to kind of like how that inspired me and, and everything. Uh, what an incredible journey. Ashok, what about you? Yeah, um, I, I've been in the industry for around 25 plus years. Uh, Spent the first 15 years building core routers that powered the internet. Uh, that's somewhere from the mid oh, nice. So, that's yeah, cool. And then uh, jumped over to security. Uh, and then I've predominantly been in security since around 2011. Uh, been working on open search over the past three years uh, and uh, also you know, building uh, the serverless product. 
So that's my quick summary. Yeah, I love it. And we, so just a little Dave history, uh, my brother and I, I mean, we were kids. I don't know if uh, you guys could probably all see it on the camera. These are Commodores over there. So those are Commodore Amigas. I got a 2000, nice. 1000. There's a 128 and a 64. And I've also had a, a 30 year tech career. And so my brother went security. I went developer. So you couldn't go anymore, right? Like I want admin access to everything. And he's like, I'm going to lock it all down and you can use notepad, Dave. You know, and I feel like he's constantly reminding me of how vital security is. And I had this really amazing journey at Amazon where I was employee one in, in Alexa developer marketing and got to see that journey and how security fits into that and how people feel about all of that. And it's just so I, I respect you so much. I, I need to know more and more about the, you know, the security aspects of things. Don't look at my S3 buckets, please. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> so let's, let's move into like, let's just baseline the tech. I mean, I yeah. love everything that your, your, your team is, is doing. So let's just talk a little bit about before we even get into the serverless and what you've built, let's just talk about Amazon open search. Can you kind of like define that for the audience? Sure. And I'm, I'm going to actually start way back in time, uh, with library science and the Dewey decimal system, because, to be, to be honest, like if you think about it, when you go to a library, you have some need for some kind of information and librarians have to catalog and make available, make searchable the information that, uh, that is in the library so that you can go in and find the thing that you're looking for, right? And so you can draw a somewhat circuitous but fairly straight line from that library science to a search engine. So what is a search engine? A search engine is a kind of database that holds records kind of like a card catalog and that enables you to bring textual queries to those to that big pile of information to pull back the the hopefully most relevant information uh, from that big catalog of information. And you can see that in, you know, sort of the main workloads for a search engine are in the e-commerce space, in the application document search, things like CRM, uh, or healthcare management systems where you're you're managing a big pile of information and you're trying to bring back uh, the right stuff, right? Uh, um, and then as search was out there as a technology, you know, the, the window of a small text box for you to provide your goals or your information needs was kind of small. And so we looked for and found ways to provide other means of uh, giving information about your, your query. And specifically, we have this faceting capability. Search facets are what you usually see on the left edge of any sort of product search or commerce, whatever screen, that summarize values of attributes across the search results. So if I search for shirts, I'll see a facet on color. I'll see 57,000 green ones, 23,000 blue ones, you know, and I can click those things to get into the, you know, to narrow the search down. In other words, provide more information. Now that summarization capability, uh, as we go forward in time, and especially Elasticsearch blew out that capability to be more generic and to be able to analyze data, especially numeric data, to provide things like summaries of uh, CPU bucketed by time, right? It's a very common workload. Um, so we look at the evolution the search technology sort of grew to encompass log analytics as well, where customers were 
where people were flowing their log data into search engines, primarily maybe at first to be able to search through and find some error that happened on some server out of the 10,000 servers they have, they wanted to go find that one error. So they put all their logs in there. And then the summarization and analytics capabilities enabled them to, to track in near real time what was going on with their infrastructure, with their containers, with their, uh, with their application. And we brought forth a, a kind of a, a dashboarding capabilities on top of, again, that, that aggregation capability that enables people to build a dashboard to monitor everything that's going on in near real time with refresh to be able to debug and identify problems that are happening in their application, in their hardware, in their what have you. So we see today two primary workloads, the first of those being still the search workload. We see like 30, 40% of our open search service uh, customers using it for search. But primarily we see log analytics as the 60 to 70% workload where people wow. are flowing either infrastructure logs, security logs, container logs, um, trace data has, is a new kind of log that's come to the fore that enables observability, and we see a lot of that as well. That was a rather longish answer to your question, no, this but is hopefully great. that gives like a grounding in sort of the technology and yeah. what it does. I have so many questions. Um, as far as, so the visualization piece, right? It's, it's very big, right? You said 70%, about 70, 50, what was it? 40 to 70%? Yeah. How does open, and a lot of this also, there was like, there's an open source piece to this. Um, can you speak a little bit about that as well? Yeah, sure. So uh, if we look at the evolution, we're currently, uh, the open search project is a, an open source, community driven, um, open roadmap, all, all, all comers welcome, uh, you know, continuation of uh, the Elasticsearch technology as of version 7.10. And so OpenSearch itself, uh, as a project, we have tens of thousands of uh, PRs. We have hundreds of millions, 100 million downloads. We have a uh, very active and ongoing project. Uh, that includes both OpenSearch, which is the search engine, the core engine, as well as open search dashboards. That's the visualization layer that provides you the means of building visualizations on top of your data. And a suite of about 50 plugins that provide additional capability around security and anomaly detection and alerting and SQL usage and a bunch of uh, other capabilities. That's that's really cool. And so recently there was an update. Uh, there's a serverless capability. Can you speak about what that update was and what in the customer feedback led to this update a little bit? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So when you use OpenSearch or you know when you use these search technologies, it's a distributed database technology. So you configure a set of hardware cluster of nodes to deliver the the search and, and analytics capabilities, right? And when you use it you send data into an index. Index is kind of like a database table um, where you could think of the, the rows as are called search documents, the columns are fields in the search engine parlance. And so there's kind of an analogy there, right? Anyway, you, in order to use OpenSearch effectively, you, you have to know quite a bit about how the hardware works, how the workload is distributed across that hardware, how the indexing and the partitioning of your, your indexes affects the performance. And we see many customers have to do a lot of work to get deployed into the right configuration. 
and struggle really with uh, managing and operating uh, open search in, a, in an effective and stable way. So with serverless, we wanted to take the AWS cut at doing that undifferentiated work and enable people just to use open search as open search without having to worry about all of the hardware, the indexes, the data lifecycle, all of that stuff. That's what we're trying to bring with serverless is the management is now taken entirely off your plate. You can focus just on doing the application, doing the log analysis, whatever it is that you want to do. And I love how we always work from the customer. So that's inspiring to see. I'm six months into AWS. So, and I, I that's like my favorite thing. You're uh, an old timer, six months. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and right. I'm like, I'm, I'm like with the greats on this podcast over here. <laughs> <laughs> John, I, it's just fast. It's fascinating to me taking the serverless concept of things, which to me, serverless is the promise of cloud computing, right? It's paying as you go. It's scaling on demand and being able to take that and give that to customers in a search environment where you're talking petabytes of data. Can you all describe like some scenarios for this? Maybe so some of the customer feedback you were getting, like how did you all build this? Immediately to me as a gamer, as you can't tell behind, I look <laughs> at it like sharding. I look at it like Blizzard releases and World of Warcraft classic. And you got all these OG gamers like me that want to play vanilla again. And there's suddenly a million people trying to hit a service that was used to getting 10,000. And I think of that in, in serverless. Is it, you know, suddenly a news article goes out about something and, the, and everyone's hitting a website or suddenly, you know, I need, everyone needs to log in at the same time or I'm searching on a particular. Is that how you all went to, to think about this? Is that kind of the customers of this when, you, when we're talking about serverless and what that really brings in those scenarios? Yeah, if we look at our customer base, so you're talking about sort of spiky workloads or things where, uh, you know, scale is is changing very rapidly. And I think that is one class of problems that potentially serverless is going to solve. I think the other class of problems is, again, just in the operational realm, even operating at petabyte scale and, and open search domain uh, is, a, is a difficult challenge. And actually managing your growth, even in a you know, not a not a spiky growth, but even just a regular growth trend, uh, managing that growth and making that happen uh, is very challenging. I also want to bring up one of the workloads that is challenging as well is a multi-tenant workload. And we see a lot of this where you have a centralized logging cluster that is serving, you know, 20, 30, 40 developer groups, or you have some kind of SaaS application where you have, uh, you know, the the tenants are the users of the SaaS platform, right? So scaling and working with those uh, is is extremely challenging. It really is. Yeah. And so I think there, both of those kind of workloads will have something to say about those. And, and Ashok, maybe you can sort of talk about how we solve those operational and sort of tenancy uh, challenges with serverless. Sure. So, um, so yeah, like uh, John said, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we wanted to uh, do for the customer is really simplify the overall management. Uh, and so uh, there are multiple aspects of this management. One is the data management itself. How do we shard data? How do we place the data? That's that's a real big problem for customers today with clusters. So we have really uh, eliminated that aspect from the uh, you know uh, the need for customers to really plan on uh, those aspects. So we do everything under the hood and we manage the data and make sure that it is placed in a way that is uh, highly available, uh, you know, uh, and also 
uh, highly performant as well. Uh, next is uh, you know securing this data. Uh, how do you secure? Yeah. That's top of mind for all customers. So we want to make it simple. Uh, we want to make it uh, easy so that all of the data can be easily secured, and then you know uh, we have various mechanisms through which they can auth- authenticate and authorize to actually access the data. Uh, all this is built on a, a really cloud-native architecture uh, where. Uh, every part of the system can scale independently based on the needs uh, and the demands uh, that are there uh, through the course of the day, the year, uh, and so on. So, so that's that's sort of uh, you know uh, where where we started off and what we have now. That's incredible. I, I want to step back a little bit and just from a high level and bring in uh, what I like to call I as idiot as a service. We've talked about <laughs> petabyte, petabyte scale. What does that actually mean? Like, is that just a way of saying really, really big? Or what are the specific constraints or kind of elements of that that make it different? Yeah, so if we're talking petabyte scale, like what we're really talking about is the amount of data we're, you're storing in the service. You know, again, if, if we're looking at log data, it's it's fairly common to have, uh, you know, hundreds, hundreds of terabytes, less common to have petabytes, but... Um, when we talk about petabyte scale, that's kind of what we mean. That's incredible. And does that have, I'm sure, resiliency components to this? Like how how do you and your team and the service approach resiliency? Yes. So again, that's where we get into the uh, challenges with, you know, scaling and configuring and index and shard strategy and figuring out the deployment of the workload. I think, you know, when we when customers get to that scale as as specialist SAs, we work a lot with those customers. We also have a team on the service that's dedicated to helping customers who get to that kind of scale to, to be able to balance things out and, and make it work. So it's it's challenging. It is very hard. Yeah. And along those lines, the durability, is it how many nines? Right. So in terms of the provision service, uh, we offer a three nines SLA. OpenSearch is not really designed to be a durable store. It's designed to, you know, again, going back to that search workload, it's designed to be used in conjunction with a database that is the durable store and the search engine is providing the search. So Ashok, like I know uh, we have uh, some additional technical details around sort of how we look at durability for serverless. Yeah, so uh, we leverage uh, S3 for storing all of our data. So from a durability perspective, I think what S3 offers is what we offer as well. But I think as far as availability goes, I think uh, as uh, you know, uh, John pointed out, it's three nine. So that, that's our durability and availability story. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like I'll just highlight that one of some of the innovations and some of the some of the innovations that we bring with serverless are number one to decouple storage and compute, right? So as Ashok said, we're using S3 as the backing store for open search serverless. Oh, okay. So you'll have 11 designed for 11 nines durability of the data in, in the serverless uh, offering. And then what we've also done is, so now we have a separation of compute and storage. Now we've also uh, specialized the compute as well, really breaking down the monolith of open search uh, as a single process into multiple services that are in a service-oriented architecture. So we're able to bring scale to indexing and scale to search 
independently. We can scale those to 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 serve those different traffic needs. That's amazing. So what is the team thinking of building next as far as now with the serverless capabilities, where where is the team kind of looking at next? So now you're asking me the the tricky roadmap questions and uh <laughs> <laughs> all iteration. <laughs> I will if money I is not an object, I will forget frugality. Let's think here's, big. Here's my yeah, here's my answer. So we are planning on building incredibly cool stuff that I'd love to be able to tell you about, but unfortunately, uh under you know, I can't I can't divulge you can our show, me, show me, show me, show me offline. I want to see it. <laughs> I I think you know, again, if you if you look at it, we have now a more cloud native kind of architecture. And I think it affords us a lot of uh, cool directions forward. And so without without sort of saying roadmap, but if you just think about that separation of compute and storage, you know, the ability to spin up compute on demand against just a static set of data in S3 is a direction that's going to provide a lot of cost benefit. And it's going to provide a lot of flexibility for our customers both to host that data, you know, in one region or potentially move it to a different region or to have dev and test and be able to spin up against that same data set with a different compute layer. Like there's so much that we can do here that's incredibly cool. It's exciting. Um, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> can, can I backtrack also for anybody who hasn't used open search in general, maybe is looking into it. Can you explain like use cases that you see that are popular more specifically or good examples? Maybe it could be specifically on the serverless update specifically or just in general, but just a few use cases for our audience. Yes. So again, looking at the search kind of uh, workloads, e-commerce is a very common uh, use case where you have a catalog of products, you push all those products into open search. OpenSearch provides the core search capabilities with relevance and uh, complex, uh, you know, ability to uh, bring in vector and other uh, means of matching, right? So if you want to bring in machine learned models uh, and do close matching that way, we're also working in the semantic space to kind of bring more, uh, again, more machine learned, uh, meaning-based, meaning-driven matching. Uh, into the service. That's a direction we're pursuing. That's out in the open source right now. Okay, so search, e-commerce, uh, again, CRM, healthcare management, data lake, the those kind of things where you want to search across a large body of the document. Logs, the, the primary is, you know, application performance monitoring, observability, uh, SIM, security information event management, and just infrastructure monitoring. Those are the the main things, and that's driven by dashboarding mostly. I, I just keep thinking about like Chat GPT as we're talking <laughs> because I'm just thinking about how that would work in that scenario, and it might be completely off topic. Bringing up a random topic. No, I think I think cool. you made an amazing point up, and I'm super curious, Ashok and John, to like get your opinion. Right? Is like search to me having a phone in my pocket and having an internet connection has changed who I am as a human being. Yep. I used to sit. I was that kid who had Encyclopedia Britannica. Like my parents, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We got a used one and I would open it up and I would sit there and pick random pages and try and feed my brain information. And as technology increased and I had the opportunity to work on a bunch of different failed mobile platforms across many different tech companies. <laughs> and just the idea that there's this tricorder in my pocket that it augmented me as a human being that I could have the normal pathways and build up these schemas to understand and how to ask things, but the actual data was available to me. 
And that didn't exist without search. And that's, you know, finding those patterns and finding those things. And I love the question that Linda has here. It's like, what does this even mean? You know, I've already seen some tweets going back and forth. And uh, it's like, it's just, it's more important than ever of how you ask. Yes. You know, like, how do you ask these AIs? How do you search? Like, where do you begin? And only human beings are great at that, at that beginning step, right? So let me ask you this. Has this happened to you? You walk into the supermarket and you're looking for the peanut butter and your brain automatically reaches for the, the search box because that's yes. how ubiquitous search is. That's how much What's it's the best. <laughs> yeah, right? just, as human beings, we just want to know. Do you know the Shannon limit? You all probably know this. Do you know this, John, the Shannon limit? I don't. Yeah. It was done no. by AT&T researcher. And I grew up in Jersey. So I was around <laughs> Lucent and AT&T and Bell Labs. And the Shannon limit says that the human brain can only think about more than uh. 40 bits of information per second, right? There's, it, it, it basically states that through any communication channel, there's a limit on bandwidth. God, we're yep. terrible getting, computers. It, you know, I worry about everybody today and how distracted they are. And you think about how much you're, you're concentrating on. And search was always like that for me is yeah. I want, tell me the best. Yeah. I don't yeah. care that there's 10,000 pages here. Tell me the best. Tell me yes. what's Emily's using because she's so, smarter than me. Tell yeah. me what Linda's, you know, it's like, what are people using? What are the top three? Maybe I just want it because that's how we're wired as human beings, right? Yeah. yeah. So now we're getting into relevance and relevance is an yeah. enormous subject area. And I will say that out of the box, what open search provides is a very statistical look at relevance. You know, it's called TFIDF and the core insight is you look at all of the words in all of the documents and you figure out how rare is each search word, right? So very rare search words score highly yeah. where common search words score low. And then oh. you look at how many times in a particular document does each search term occur and you make a, a function on top of that. So you say a lot of occurrences of a very rare term means this document is probably relevant, right? That's kind of how you do it. The problem with that is that if you have a very statistically similar set of documents, you don't get a lot of discrimination from that just that baseline, right? So there are additional mechanisms that you can use that improve that. Some of those are at indexing time where you augment documents with additional information that are additional targets for matching, or we talked a little bit about vectors where you can do machine learned categorization. Yeah. And then a lot of it has to do with the query time. So you know things potentially about the person who is sending the query. You may know, you know, uh, gender, you may know other demographic information, you may know about this particular searcher that they prefer this brand. Yeah. So you try to bring in that that query time information as well. So that's been, you know, up until a couple of years ago, that's been the, the state of the art. Going forward, you know, what we're seeing is, again, more of, uh, as, as we develop machine learning capabilities and are able to do more work with just text and pulling out semantics, we're starting to bring that semantics and taking queries and really trying to pull the intent behind the query through semantics and matching semantically to the documents um, that, that are in that index, right? So my prototypical example of this is a, a keyword search would be, I want an eight foot blue couch, right? And, and I can go to my catalog and I can match eight foot blue couch, right? A semantic would be, I want a cozy place to sit by the fire. 
And that should still pull ah. that eight-foot blue couch, right? Oh. Yeah, so, I think you bring this up, and I, I've been um, experimenting, inspired by Linda and our other colleague, Brooke, experimenting with TikTok. And I have been blown away about how their search and their algorithm responds to me, not just as a person, but in the minutes that I am actually participating in on the app, right? Like my, my for you page today will be different than yesterday as well as tomorrow. It's just based on my, almost my mood. It's kind of incredible. Um, but yeah. I want to loop back. You mentioned something called TFIDF, which yeah. for those of us without PhDs stands for term <laughs> frequency inverse document frequency. I just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> Oh, sure. Sorry. I didn't like say out the abbreviation because like the core thing, term frequency, the frequency across the corpus, document frequency is a frequency in the document. In other words, the more times oh. it's in the document, you divide. So the more times it's in the document, the smaller it gets, right? Like that. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just want to ask, how do I enable all of this? Like to get started, if I am using open search, am I getting all these security benefits? Am I getting all this serverless benefits? automatically? Do I need to go change some type of setting? Do I have to set up IAM permissions? What's happening as a customer if I go and check out? And I'll put all these links to open search and uh, your blog post and, and everything else here for people to listen to. But how do I get started and what's available? Sure. So when you use open search provisioned, you use uh, CLI, CloudFormation, on our AWS console. Uh, you deploy what we call a domain. You'll specify ah, okay. uh, a set of instances. So we have different instance types. We have data nodes. We have cluster manager nodes. Uh, we have ultra-warm nodes. Uh, you'll specify the instance type and the instance count for those. We then go provision that hardware and provide it to you at an endpoint where you just interact with the open search APIs. Security is provided either through uh, integration with IAM. We do support uh, user password authentication. And then for open search dashboards, we have integration with SAML, uh, integration with Cognito, uh, and our own sign-in experience as well. So when you use it provisioned, that's the kind of security model. Uh, we do have down to the field level security in the in the provision service. So you can do index level, you can do document level, you can do field level security, uh, very rich security model uh, on the provision service. Uh, and again, Ashok, you want to cover the, the serverless model? Yeah, so uh, serverless is uh, pretty simple. I mean, it, the concept is you have a collection. A collection is a way of organizing your indices. Uh, and uh, as soon as you uh, click on open search on your console, you have the ability to create a collection. And then once the collection is created, you get an endpoint uh, and you use that endpoint to ingest data or search for data. Uh, and uh, you can uh, uh, provision security for each one of those collections. Uh, and uh, uh, the type of security model that we have is you can configure security once and you can apply it to all the collections that you create. Oh, so I love it. It's, uh, love it. it's pretty simple. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's how you get started. Can I ask both of you, what are you most excited about in the space? There's a, I mean, this is a great update for our customers and I, I just kind of more uh, general, like what, what are you excited about, whether it be within open source or just in general in the search space? Either of you, John or Ashwin. Yeah. Go for it, Ashok. Oh, well. Uh, on search space, uh, I, I think as, as John uh, was talking about earlier, right? Uh, I think the intent of search is, uh, I think, uh, you know, what what really matters. And uh, as we evolve, I think the intent is going to be key. Uh, we're going to yeah. go uh, provide more and more sophisticated uh, layers of uh, 
you know, uh, applications on top of search, uh, which is really going to uh, uh, cater to a huge number of use cases like search uh, security analytics, uh, uh, other types of uh, use cases where you really want to uh, get into the advanced levels of search. So that's how I see this space evolving uh, as we provide more and more uh, intelligence and uh, do search in real time uh, and solve some of the analytics problems in real time. Yeah, and I like how somebody said it before, but like really it is an extension of, it's becoming really an extension of who we are as well. So uh, John, what about you? Yeah, I, I have to say I'm, extremely excited about the open source project. I think that this is uh, something that is, uh, you know, I, I won't say it's new for AWS. AWS has done a lot of work in open source and we continue to do a lot of work in open source. But I love it that this technology is really out there for our whole community to come together and to push forward. I think we have so much opportunity here to differentiate and, and really go in a direction that is driven by the community and and that, you know, we're all gonna sort of see where this technology goes together. And I love that, it makes me tremendously excited. So where can people, if they wanna find you and find find out more about Amazon OpenSearch, where should they go? Sure, uh, we can definitely start with our, our service documentation, which covers both the provisioned and the serverless models of deployment. Um, and there's there's plenty of good information in there. I think that for the, for OpenSearch, the project, uh, opensearch.org is the website to start with. And we have uh, an open source blog. We have, of course, a GitHub that, that hosts the repos. Uh, and you can dive into issues. You can you can start working on the, the project right away. There's, there's open issues. There's forums. There's all kinds of stuff that you can do on the open source side. And open source is such a great way to really also build up your skill set and contribute to the community. And I always tell people when they want to, you know, even transition into like certain roles within other tech roles, open source is the place to go and like try to, you know, learn things by helping also out with like issues that are open. Um, as far as finding both of you online, where can people find you? Uh, I am Twitter, uh, searchgeek, underscore searchgeek, all one word. And um, Linda found it. We were stalking <laughs> you online, John, and I found your John one. And Linda was like, I think he's search geek, Dave. And I'm like, you have such skills. I'm like, I better hide my online profile from Linda because she's going to find some skeletons in my closet. <laughs> I, I have to, admit to not being the best about keeping that up to date. But uh, yeah, no is, judgment here about handle. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, Twitter's right. burning anyway. So yeah, it's right. Fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. for me, it's going to be LinkedIn. So I think that's that's the best way to reach. Awesome. Me. Well, LinkedIn as well, John Handler. Yeah. Awesome. You know, I just love what you said about open source. Oh gosh, I don't know when this even goes back. There was a company, Xamarin, uh, and there's this amazing individual in the open source community named Miguel Diacaza. And he really schooled me on open source. At the time, I was working at Microsoft, and I remember I was pushing WPF and XAML and all of this kind of technology. And he kind of took me aside, and he probably doesn't even remember this, but he was just like, Dave, why do we keep reinventing stuff? And it was like, it's just human, like if all of human history, if we just shared what we built, right? It's like what Satoshi did with Bitcoin, just releasing it to the world. Like I've, I've created this thing and it's here. How yeah. much better would we all be when it comes to technology? And it really stuck with me in my heart. And when I see teams like what you're all doing and you really have that passion for open source of, and 
like we've had other teams on here too. You see this across Amazon and I love this is we've built this and we're not just putting it into a source control that only we have access to. We're giving it to, to everybody. So I super yeah. appreciate that you pointed that out and everything you're doing there. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a pleasure. We had Emily and Linda. This is the first time we've had like three. Hope. No, exactly. I loved it. It was wonderful having you both on. I've, I learned so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.